So good morning listeners and welcome to Come and See Inspirations and this the second Sunday of Easter, otherwise known as Divine Mercy Sunday, and the 24th of April. My name is Jan Keeley and help me to present the programme again today, Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we keeping? Good. Thanks, Shane. Good now today and uh, within this wonderful Easter season. Um, great to be well, there. And I suppose we should take the opportunity today to wish all of our Orthodox cousins, brothers, sisters, uh, Greek Catholic, who are celebrating in the Byzantine liturgy because today is their Easter Sunday. So how is that relevant to Ireland today? People would say it's because if you have a new neighbour who is from Ukraine, today is their Easter Sunday. So make sure you knock on the door, wish him Happy Easter, and give him an egg. Shane, thanks a lot for that. That's a good idea. Okay, don't forget that now, listeners. Um, must remember that myself. Okay, again, so as I said, my name is John Keeley. Thanks again for joining us. And also, I know Shane will join me in welcoming our listeners who are housebound, lonely and struggling in some way. I want to make sure we mention that every week because we know there's some people who listen to us and maybe on their own, maybe struggling a little bit. You're welcome, and thanks indeed for, for joining us. Our, our podcast, of course, as usual, includes some interviews, chat and faith topics, inspirational music, and reflecting, of course, on the Sunday Gospel. All of our podcasts can be heard at comeandseeinspirations.buzzspread.com or at our blog, that's a historical uh, podcast, and sacredspace102.blogspot.com and also on Spotify and or iTunes and also on our Facebook page, that's Come and See Inspirations. You can contact us, please do, if you so wish, on 87 That's from Ireland. International 0035387-6088-667. Or come and see inspirations at gmail.com. And as usual, we'll invite Shane um, to share what's happening in terms of saints for the week this week, liturgical and so on and so forth. So, liturgical odds and ends for this week. As John said at the top of the programme, today is the second Sunday of Easter in the liturgical calendar. So, uh, mainly, of course, uh, it's sometimes called Low Sunday or Quit Sunday sometimes, uh, because it's after it's the Sunday after the high of Easter. Uh, obviously, in the last number of years, it has become very well associated with the devotion to the Divine Mercy, which uh, we are going to discuss in detail in the second part of this morning's podcast. So in terms of liturgical odds and ends for the coming week, for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week two. Uh, Monday, the 25th of April, is the feast day of St. Mark, the Evangelist. St. Mark, of course, associated with writing the first canonical gospel. Um, very much associated with the city and the sea of Alexandria in Egypt and was said to have founded that sea or that, that church and martyred there in uh, 68 AD on the 25th of April, which is why we celebrate his feast day on the 25th. Tradition very much associates him with Peter as being one of his traveling companions. He also traveled with Paul for a while and Barnabas through Cyprus. And he was martyred in Alexandria, as I said, in 68 AD. So that's St. Mark Evangelist. Tuesday, the 26th. Now, I found a couple of um, different feast dates for this one. So to bring it a bit more local, I'll start local first. Um, 
the 26th of April is the feast day of Our Lady of Good Counsel. Now, people will say, ah, why is that name ringing a bell? Because there is a shrine to Our Lady of Good Counsel at the Church in Limerick City. It is the main shrine to Our Lady, which is on the right-hand side as you're looking at the altar from the street. So it's, it's the Augustinians have a devotion to Our Lady of Good Counsel. Um, it is associated with a town called Genazano in Italy, which is 25 miles southwest east of Rome, where uh, there is a particular icon, which is the icon of Our Lady of Good Counsel, which is drawn on very thin wall, paste, wall plaster, uh, which is suspended in the air without, without, without support. Huge devotion to it over the years, starting with from Pope Paul in 1467, all the way down to uh, Innocent of Kind, Pius IX, Leo XIII, uh, all the way through um, same pontiffs have given great uh, devotion to Our Lady under her title of Our Lady of Good Counsel. So that's the feast day that's celebrated on the 26th of April. Now, I also have, uh, uh, on, as well as that, I have the 26th of April is also the feast day of St. George. So George uh, is, uh, of course, very much associated is the, and now in, in some calendars, it's the 26th. In other calendars, it is the 23rd. Uh, so it just varies a small bit. So George, of course, is one of the saints of England. Not the UK, England. There is a difference. So moving on, then the 27th of April, we have the feast day of St. Asicus on the Irish calendar. Now, what do we know about Asicus? Not a whole lot, Susie. What horse did he ride in on? Asicus is very much associated as the craftsman of St. Patrick, very much associated with metalwork and accompanying St. Patrick on his journeys. He was left in charge of the church in Elphin, uh, which Patrick is said to have founded. So obviously today is a feast day in the Diocese of St. Elphin. Thursday the 28th of April is the feast day of St. Louis-Marie de Montfort, died in 1716, the priest whose calling was to preach the missions and to care for the sick and the poor. St. Louis de Montfort, of course, his main, if you like, claim to fame down to the current day is very much around, of course, the devotion to Our Lady and the consecration to Our Lady. Uh, and he's, he's right down, he's a doctor of the church, oh, sorry, his declaration of the doctor of church is being pursued. Um, he's very much involved, uh, his famous book is True Devotion to Mary. And he regarded as consecration to Mary as the perfect manner of renewing one's baptismal promises. And it's a spirituality which has been uh, taken up by many millions, including John Paul II had a great devotion to that as well. And of course, as we know, with John Paul II, he had a great devotion to Our Lady, dedicating his pontificus totus to us, totally yours. Then on Friday, we have the 29th of April, we have the feast day of St. Patrick of Siena. Patrick, of course, her feast day is a new addition to the calendar. She before was a memorial, now it's a feast day. And of course, Catherine is uh, a doctor of the church. She's one of the patrons of Europe. Dominican saint, died in, in 1380. Uh, very much, of course, associated with the city of Siena in Italy. Uh, she was a woman very much involved with the political things of her days. 
she's associated um, with helping to bring papacy from the Babylonian exile in Avignon in France to Rome in um, in 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 and and then uh, encouraged. She was a counselor to popes and kings, very much associated uh, as well with her writings. Uh, we get a, we have a huge volume of her writings which have come down to the present day and which are still highly regarded in terms of the church, which is why she was declared a doctor of the church in 1970 by Pope Paul VI. Um, she is a mystic, a reformer of religious life, and she was also declared a patron of Europe in the year 2000 during the Great Jubilee, the Jubilee 2000. And finally, John, Saturday is the feast day of St. Pius V, Dominican saint, elected Pope in 1565. He died in 1572, um, very much associated with the reforms of the, of the Council of Trent and the, and the, the Counter-Reformation. He was the one that promoted and proclamated the publication of the, the Missal, the Breviary and the Catechism. The Missal in particular is the Missal, which was the Missal use pretty much up to the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. So there's, there were slight reforms, but it was predominantly the Missal Pius V was in use. Very much associated as well with the politics of his time and in defense of Christianity against the Moors or the Turks. Um, and he uh, very much is, at the time of his death, he was working on a proposal to bring an alliance uh, to fight the Ottoman Empire at the time that he died in 1572. Now, interesting thing about Paul Pius V. Now, still not 100% sure if it applies to him, but Pius V could be the reason why the Pope's dress in white. Because uh, the traditional color actually of the papacy was violet or red, you know? Uh, but uh, Pius V was, uh, he's, a, he's a Dominican. And the Dominican uh, order, obviously, their habit is the white habit. So tradition has it that maybe, they're not 100% sure, the reason we got in the white associated with the papacy is because this man continued to wear his Dominican habit after he was made Pope. He is the Pope, you know. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see, as they say. Now, as I said, John, earlier in the program, today, of course, very much is the Easter for the Orthodox Church. So, in particular, we will remember um, our our neighbor, our new neighbors, particularly uh, people that come here from Ukraine, be they of Orthodox or Greek Catholic denomination. And of course, in particular, this morning, uh, as this is going out on Sunday, there would have been uh, celebrations hosted at Mount Saint Alphonsus, the Redemptorist Church in Limerick, by the Redemptorist community for the or for the Ukrainians for their particular celebrations for Easter. We also have to give a particular mention as well, I should have done it last week, is for our Jewish neighbours who were celebrating the Passover. And also just to give the heads up that uh, May the 2nd is the celebration of Eid for our Muslim neighbours, it's Eid al-Fitr. Um, now the Jewish and the Muslim celebrations move with the moon so they can take place at any time of the year. Um, obviously though we're celebrating as well Christian uh, highlight of the liturgical calendar, which is Easter, which must make it a fairly interesting time to be in Jerusalem. When yes. you've got Jewish Passover, you have Christian Easter, 
and you have Muslim Eid all coming together at the same time, which I think only happens uh, three times in a century. Um, so it must make things a little hectic in the Holy City at these times. Shane, thanks a lot for that. Question. What's the oh. difference between a memorial and a feast day? You mentioned the Catherine Siena. It used to be celebrated as a memorial. Now it's a feast day. What's the difference? So, um, okay, so there are different ranks within the calendar. And what it basically means, there's different types of prayers said depending okay. on the liturgy of the hours are at the Mass. And then depending as well for a feast day uh, at the Mass, the priests might wear particular vestments for the feast. So they could wear white for St. Catherine's feast day. Uh, they may or may not use the Gloria, um, which, which may or not be used. So Dominicans would definitely use the Gloria, but it would be a feast day for them as, as she's a Dominican saint. Whereas memorial is the particular prayers and the saint's name is mentioned. That's kind of from a liturgical point of view. As usual, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for that, Shane. Okay, now at this point of the program, we might have a prayer space. Today I picked a small little prayer uh, that spoke to me. It's uh, taken actually from a book that was published many years ago, a little booklet from the Newcastle West Parish uh, Family Prayer Booklet. This one is entitled, Care for Me, Lord. Care for me, Lord, as though you were a shepherd, and I a sheep of your flock. Lead me to the comfort of your quiet and peace. Lead me to walk through the world in your footsteps, even when there is sadness and shadow. I shall not be afraid or lose hope. You are with me in good times and in bad. Care for me always, O Lord, as though you were a shepherd, and I a sheep of your flock. Little prayer to maybe introduce our second piece, our first bit of music today as we leave this first part of the program, uh, this podcast. Uh, as Shane mentioned, uh, in part two of the program, we'll have a reflection by uh, Sister Louise, Louise O'Rourke. I forget what particular order Sister Louise is, Shane. Sister Disciples of the Divine Master. Okay. So Sister joined me early on during the week to give us a reflection on Divine Mercy. It's well worth listening to. In the meantime, we'll go out for our first bit of music. It's Taze music, uh, and it's Easter. Shane suggested we play this lovely one, Jubilati, uh, Alleluia, and this is from Taze. So come back and join us again in part two to listen to Sister Louise O'Rourke give her reflection on Divine Mercy. Cry out with joy to God on the earth.
So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. Today, uh, it being Divine Mercy Sunday, uh, we decided that we would invite someone in to just to remind us again what Divine Mercy is all about, maybe a little bit about the history and a little reflection on it. So it's great for us to welcome on to the, our podcast again today. Louise O'Rourke, Sister Louise O'Rourke from Dublin. How are you? Good morning, John. Good to be here. Thanks a lot indeed for joining us, uh, Sister. Um, Sister Louise, I know you, you, you've got a certain interest with Divine Mercy yourself. So maybe before we start, just for some of our listeners who mightn't really have a clue, uh, a little bit maybe about the history of what is Divine Mercy, how did it all start, and so on and so forth. It's all over to you. Sure. Well, actually, my congregation that I belong to is actually called the Disciples of the Divine Master. But so often we get letters that are addressed to the disciples of the Divine Mercy. And for years, we used to be very annoyed with this. Why can they not get our name right? But as time went on, we felt, well, you know what? We take it. <laughs> you know, you can't go wrong with Divine Mercy. And just different circumstances throughout the years, we found ourselves being more and more involved in promoting Divine Mercy, even though it wouldn't kind of specifically be our own charism, but just through the prayer groups that use our chapel, and then there's an annual Divine Mercy Conference in Dublin that draws quite a large number. It's become something very dear to us. So it's it's a, it's a very privileged to be able to explain a little about the Divine Mercy to people that mightn't be familiar. Um, I suppose I can share just from a, a personal um, experience that I, growing up, I wouldn't have had much exposure to the Divine Mercy, but my aunt, who would be quite religious, used to go to different um, shrines and that. And when I was 18, I had already kind of decided to join the convent. And my my little brother, who was about 10 years at that stage, went down to the religious bookshop and said, my sister's going to be a nun and she likes to read. I need the book, biggest book you have. And the, the man in the shop said, well, we have the diary of St. Faustina. And it has about two and a half thousand pages. So that should keep her going. And 
that in a way was my first real exposure to the diary of St. Faustina. And that in a way serves as a little introduction to explain what is the Divine Mercy, because um, this nun St. Faustina was very much, well, actually, she's given the title of Secretary of Divine Mercy, because when she was she was a young sister and she was based in Poland and she started having these visions of, of Jesus, um, very real visions. And Jesus spoke to her and she had these images. She had an image in her heart and her head of what this Jesus was. And through the help of her spiritual director and over a number of years, she started to write down all these conversations, spiritual conversations. And it's become known now as the Diary of St. Faustina or Divine Mercy Diary. And as the title gives away, it's very much all about the mercy of God. And this was kind of a new thing in the church because um, if even some of our older generations, you know, God was kind of, he was a punishing God. He was a judgmental God, often kind of a God of the Old Testament. And here you have this young sister in the 1930s when the world was kind of on the rise of fascism and communism and just after the first major world war you've got this young nun talking about mercy and forgiveness that jesus has given these message so um, it wasn't well accepted and her own nuns no more than many of the saints in the church um, the people didn't believe her her own sisters in community found it very hard to believe that she was having these visions of Jesus um, and many of the saints had the same experience but she persevered and she had a very good spiritual director who is now also on, on the way to canonization but again many listeners might know the image of Jesus mercy and actually not know what it is and it's it's an image of Jesus in like a white garment and there's two rays coming from from him it's a, a red ray and a blue ray, and they're coming out of the heart of Jesus. And then underneath, it's, it has the words, Jesus, I trust in you. And often when Jesus appeared to St. Faustina, these were the words you know, that it was about bringing this message of mercy to the world, a world that very much needed healing and to restore really a proper understanding of the sanctity and dignity of human life. And we're, we're about 10 years after the First World War. And little did York know that we're on the cusp of the Second World War at that stage in the 30s when Faustina was having these, these visions. So as the years went on, Faustina died as a young sister in her 30s. And for years, actually, the Divine Mercy prayers and the image were banned in the church because, um, like many things, it takes time or devotions and prayers to mature. And I remember even some of our own older sisters, they'll talk about when you know, they entered the convent, they weren't allowed to have the image of um, Divine Mercy Jesus and that. But as, as time went on, like, again, like many things, the church began to understand that this truly was authentic. And then in the year 2000, Pope, uh, he's now Saint Pope John Paul II, canonized Saint Faustina. And the same year also announced that um, the second Sunday of Easter, which is today, would be the Divine Mercy Sunday. And this was also one of the messages that our Lord gave to St. Faustina when she was at prayer, that 
he, he clearly indicated that it would be that eighth day after Easter that would be established as Divine Mercy Sunday. So when Pope John Paul II canonized Faustina, he was also fulfilling in a way that request of Faustina that uh, the second Sunday of Easter would be reserved to honor and commemorate the infinite gift of God's mercy. That's a little of kind of the history and how it, how it came forth. I think maybe maybe just one one small little comment there. I suppose for some of us, uh, it would seem strange that uh, the divine mercy um, was actually banned, for want of a better word, <laughs> stopped from being participated, not encouraged by the church. Sounds a little bit unusual, but then that happens, does it? It does, and at times it's sometimes it's about the the messenger. Sometimes it's about the message, mm. and. I think like that because Faustina was a young woman. She had had her difficulties in the convent in the, she was with the congregations of Our Lady of Mercy. And I suppose they wanted to try and understand, well, was she well mentally? Were these figments of her imagination? Uh, as time went on like that, um, um, Father Sabotsko, who was her spiritual director, was able to Say no, these were authentic because even when she was tried, she did, she still persevered, and uh, she could see also the fruits of her prayers. That um, paradoxically, the suffering came with the message. That even though she'd be the messenger of the message of mercy, that she too would be the vessel of mercy and be very aware of her own weakness. So it took time for the church to mature and. We've seen that in other places as well, be it with Marian shrines or places of operation, even the lives of the saints. Um, like I know in my own congregation, we were founded in 1924. And in 1947, we were declared um, extinct by the, by the Vatican because they said you're too like another congregation that exists. So it's like in the gospel, say the grain of wheat falls into the ground eyes to bring forth fruit and the suffering that Faustina had and probably some generations afterwards of those who prayed to the divine mercy that were restricted by the church from praying it. It was like that seed that fell into the ground and would bear great fruit because nowadays I think a lot of people are familiar with this prayer of divine mercy and there's some very beautiful experiences that people have, especially say it's known now as a deathbed prayer. So um, often if somebody's dying, people will pray what's known as the chaplet of divine mercy. And also it's kind of become associated with like three o'clock is often the time that the divine mercy is prayed because three o'clock is the time we remember the death of Jesus. So um, I'd, I had the, the blessing to live in Poland for a year and I, I worked at home for elderly priests and every day at three o'clock we'd go down to the chapel and pray the chaplet and often throughout Poland, like we'd stop at six o'clock for the Angelus or at 12 o'clock, um, people would stop at three o'clock and they'd say the chaplet of divine mercy, very conscious of people also that might be dying and need those special prayers and it's become known kind of as the hour of mercy so three o'clock would be the hour of mercy a little bit about the actual chaplet itself sure. it, uh, yeah um again it's 
maybe throughout the years, I, I didn't appreciate it as, as I should have, but the experience of living in Poland, but also again of um, going to the Divine Mercy Conference not in Dublin, I came to know and love the chaplet. And it's it's a rosary-based prayer in the sense that you, you pray it on a rosary beads and it has different prayers that you pray along. Now, it's a bit shorter than a rosary, so, so it might suit people that find it hard maybe to focus and concentrate to pray the, the rosary. But it has a series of prayers that, again, just draw us into the mystery of the mercy of God. And the image that Faustina had, again, was this blood and water that, that went forth from the side of Christ as an ocean of mercy. So it's like we might find it hard to understand it because we think of blood gushing, we think of somebody dying or whereas it's a very biblical image. And especially at the moment, it's a very paschal image because it brings us back also to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And when they pierced his side, that blood and water came forth and the church was born from the side of Christ. So in the chaplet, there's these short prayers that are prayed repetitively. But this they start off, and I, I might just read the two or three short prayers because it just focuses us again on what the feast is about. So it's, it's that you pray it on a rosary beads, but it starts before you get into kind of like the decades, so to speak. Um, it says, you expire Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls. And the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. O fount of life, unfathomable divine mercy, envelop the whole world and empty yourself out upon us. And then there's another prayer that said three times, O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus, as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. And that I trust in you, when you see the image of the divine mercy, Jesus will always have that underneath him. Um, just very simple prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. Um, and then afterwards it goes on and we pray, Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. And even that little two-line prayer, it's very much it's a prayer of offering because we're praying for ourselves. But when you read the the diary of St. Faustina, Jesus' message is very much, it's about the salvation of the whole world. So anytime he spoke to Faustina, it was, wasn't just about saving Faustina and her nuns. It was very much, she was going to be the instrument of divine mercy to help this broken world, first of all, acknowledge that they needed mercy and then ask for it. And that, that was kind of, that little two-line prayer there kind of encompasses that sense of we're sinners, but we're redeemed sinners, but we need to ask for that gift of, of mercy. And then on the, the beads of our rosary, we say it 10 times um, for the sake of the sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. And often it's prayed kind of in a litanic form. So a guide will lead it just like we do with the rosary. Somebody would pray the first part of the Hail Mary and then um, others would pray the second part. So it's a very, I find it a very soothing prayer, you know, that um, I commute a lot on the bus and sometimes it can be hard to focus to say the whole rosary, but sometimes I just find myself going to the, the chaplet of divine mercy and asking the mercy of God upon 
the city of Dublin and the people I see that are getting on and off the bus and and other times just to be able to in times of difficulty just say that prayer Jesus I trust in you I, I had again the privilege of nursing an elderly priest in Poland and his only request was that when he was dying that we would pray the chaplet and for his last 15 minutes of his life he just kept on praying that um, Jesus I trust in you and then it slowly his breath just stopped and it was just such a, a beautiful image of it reminded me of Jesus on the cross handing over his spirit in that spirit of trust even though there had been the suffering and the difficulty of accepting death which we all do have but in that that priest on his deathbed it was a very peaceful experience of death because it was into that merciful embrace of God in a very short period sometimes people say I don't know how to pray but even just to be able to say Jesus I trust in you and he looks after the rest I suppose the one thing uh, the, the the one thing comes to mind for myself uh, as a difference to the to the rosary with the rosary there's always a mystery to to sort of contemplate on whereas with the divine mercy you you've only really got those words to concentrate on isn't that right That's true and it's the message it's the message of mercy um, now there's again it's true you've a mystery to contemplate but often there's an intention as well so at the moment in the lead up to Divine Mercy Sunday, which which we have now, there is a novena which begins on Good Friday. And the church has kind of established that each day there will be a different group of people that we particularly pray for. But that in a way gives us a focus. It's not quite maybe the mystery too, but it gives a different category, like say sinners who feel they have no hope or souls in purgatory or people who have become lukewarm in faith. Um, another day we're asked to pray for the souls of Catholic priests and religious souls of those separated from the church. Um, and it just reminds us again that this gift of mercy isn't something we keep for ourselves, that it's in a way the communion of saints and those who are still in purgatory and the church that's still on pilgrimage, that we all join together in the gift of God's mercy. And it's, it always strikes me that um, during Lent, we're kind of focusing on the Father as the merciful one. And if you remember a few years ago, we had the year of mercy. And there was that kind of image that it's the Father with the Son kind of nearly draped over his shoulder, um, echoing that icon of the, the prodigal what we call the prodigal son, some countries that call it the prodigal father, but this oneness that the father and son became one because the mercy that the father offers to this wayward son was just so great. And that's kind of an icon for Lent. And then we move into the octave of Easter and we're asked to reflect on Jesus as the merciful one. So and we know the father, the son and the spirit are one in the Trinity, but it, I always just thought it was interesting how um, it wasn't just a coincidence that Divine Mercy Sunday was in the Easter octave, that there was a reasoning behind it and also very much in tune with the liturgical calendar and 
just the daily pilgrimage of the readings that we read and also helping our own catechetical journey of understanding like the Father, the Son and the Spirit as one together. So it gives us that beautiful icon of Jesus as mercy. And then later on in a few weeks, we'll have the spirit of Pentecost who also will give us gift of mercy as we reflect on the fruits as well and the gifts of the spirit. And are there, is there a, a closing prayer as well for the Divine Mercy Chaplet? And there is, and again, it's it still continues that theme of asking that whole mercy would come upon the whole world. And Jesus, I trust in you is the conclusion of the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And it's, to feel it's kind of the last words on our breath is that act of trust. It was... You know, people kind of say, well, how did we get these prayers? The the prayers I read there and the short ones there were communicated in prayer to Faustina from our Lord. Now, people can be skeptical maybe about visions and dialogues like that, and that's okay. Um, and that's where, I suppose, the deposit of faith that we have and even the scriptures and everything we say, well, how do we know they really came from? these people that's really what Jesus said but um, we trust that these are words that are given to us to help us on our faith journey and those words of the prayers were given to her and he said she was asked by her spiritual director to write down everything and that culminated in those thousand pages of a diary and it's something that maybe when I've time I'd love to do is to go through the diary I'm sure you can do it easily now with online and um, but even just to count how many times the word mercy is in the the diary of Faustina or even in the in the Bible you know, we talk about the phrase do not be afraid you is in the scriptures 365 times so that's the time for every day but I'd love to to love to do that little exercise of well how often does the word mercy and even the mercy in the Old Testament, which was understood a bit differently, and then mercy in the New Testament. Um, that the mercy in the New Testament is almost a pact of love that, that comes from the deepest part of the being. It's that it's nearly like the, the groaning of labor, that um, it's something really from within. It's not just um, something very superficial. It draws us deeper into that mercy. Is there also an image of the Divine Mercy too? Isn't there? Are the two rays? So the the image of Divine Mercy, and actually we were travelling over these past few days with some sisters who had arrived in Ireland over the past few months in my own community, and they were very surprised that at different parts, kind of on the motorways, and um, that there's this image of Jesus, Divine Mercy, with the words, Jesus, I trust in you because they just they say, oh, you never see this in our country. And it's that image, again, that many people probably have passed by. And it's it's Jesus. He's standing upright and he's got the white garb or the white robe of what we call it. It's an Easter glow in a way. And that's when somebody's baptized or received into the church, they wear a white robe because it's that new life, that purity. 
that Jesus has that and then the two rays that are coming from from his heart as well, usually kind of a, a ready, slightly brown, depending on the depiction, and um, blue as well, and symbolic of the blood and the water that came forth. And that's also in the prayer that the, the blood and water came forth from the, the side of Jesus um, for the salvation of the whole world. And his hand, his left hand is touching his heart, which again is a very biblical image because the heart is not just um, an organ in the body, but in, in the biblical world, the heart was kind of the seat of wisdom. It wasn't the head that was the wise part. It was the intellectual that was in the head. The heart was really the wisdom of the experience of knowing the divine, but also the heart was what pumped the blood around the body. So it was the life source as well. Um, also, the blood was coming from the heart. So we all know if you're if you're bleeding out, <laughs> if you can't stop it, and but it was the blood that would be the salvation of the world. And at Easter we have the image of the lamb as well, the Paschal lamb, because it's the lamb that Isaiah speaks of, the lamb that was slain, that was the victim in um, reparation for sins but this merciful Jesus reminds us that the blood that comes forth from Jesus isn't just leaving him um, it's the blood that we're washed in and also for many people that's a hard image to contemplate because it's an uncomfortable image but again it's the life we think of blood flowing through our bodies we think of life flowing through our bodies so and, and that's the image and Originally, when Faustina tried to communicate that image to an artist, she wasn't happy with it because what was depicted wasn't the Jesus that she had experienced and that she became very frustrated and angry even. And so it, it, I think it took a second image for it to be the one that we know now traditionally as the divine mercy image. And that's housed in Lithuania, as far as I can remember. I haven't seen it, but again, familiar with the image. And, you know, it's it's an image of great peace. It's in a way a little bit similar to the Sacred Heart in its depiction. You know, it's, um, but the heart and the mercy, they're all linked together. And, and these are all sacramentals that help us come closer to our faith and deeper in our relationship with Jesus. So over the years, the church has come to use them as tools and instruments to catechize people. So um, even when back in 2000, when Pope John Paul II had declared Faustina a saint and announced it um, later on, Pope Benedict, um, Emeritus Pope, when he would explain um, why, why did John Paul wait it's so many years, or why did he do it during the Jubilee year? Because Jubilee years often, in the, the Old Testament, there were a time where people were freed from sin. So he thought it was the opportune moment to really, and again, remember, Pope John Paul II also was Polish, so he would have grown up with it, whether he was able to pray it freely because he was already in Rome, or he was praying it hiddenly because the church hadn't approved it, but in a way, it was in his DNA there already. So uh, people might call it opportunist, but it, 
we call it providence because we would maybe we wouldn't have the great devotions now we have to divine mercy if we didn't have a polish pope at that time so but he, but he explained it um pope john paul ii he said from the pierced side of christ came blood and water and now that christ is risen from the living christ bring the easter sacraments of baptism and eucharist and those who approach baptism and eucharist receive the gift of eternal life and he was recalling again those two rays in the image that Faustina had that the blood and the water were also symbolic of the baptism and eucharist because we're baptized in waters that regenerate us and bring us into the christian community and then in eucharist we receive the body and blood of jesus so again the sacrifice that we commemorate at the last supper again involves blood and which we take and when we receive communion we receive body and blood of christ so the image also reflects that the, the sacraments of the church and so i suppose that that might come bring, bring us really to um to divine mercy sunday itself and there's certain liturgy and there's certain I mean, it's a big day, for instance, now for many people to go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation and Confession. Do you want to share some thoughts on that, please? Yeah. Um, and again, you kind of say, well, during, usually on Easter Saturday, Holy Saturday, you'd traditionally go to confession before Easter and also during the Tridium. So why is there such an emphasis just one week later? It's like we're maybe regressing because if we've just celebrated that Jesus is risen and now this focus on penance and mercy. But mercy is something to be celebrated. It's not about beating our breasts and say, oh, we're, we're sinners and we keep our head down. Um, we're an Easter people precisely because the Lord is risen. We're an Easter people precisely because the Lord died on the cross, but it did not stop there. So the gift of mercy we mark on the eighth day. And that's a very biblical thing as well, that the eighth day is the fulfillment. And because of the link of Jesus asking Faustina that divine mercy would be celebrated on the second Sunday of Easter, as you say, it's now become kind of a big feast and many churches will have the devotions. Thankfully, this year we'll be able to gather in person. So um, many parishes at three o'clock this for the Sunday of divine mercy will have availability of confession. They'll usually pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet in its entirety, have some reflections, and then they'll have the Mass of Divine Mercy. And the lovely thing is, it's not that there's a special liturgy or anything for Divine Mercy Sunday. It's the liturgy of Second Sunday of Easter. And it fits perfectly, and um, more rather, um, the liturgy was there before the feast was there. So just shows us the gift of the liturgical year to us as well. And the second Sunday of Easter, usually the church traditionally remembers the first appearance of Jesus to his disciples after the resurrection. And even just looking at the gospel, you can see that it's that encounter of Jesus with the, the disciples who are closed in the upper room. And he comes to them and the first things he does, he gives them the gift of peace. And we know that at the time Thomas isn't there. Um, so we have often this Sunday, 
actually in the in the Orthodox Church, um, when they have this gospel, they call it um, Doubting Sunday, because you have the figure of Thomas, who is remembered more for that rather than for the profession of faith. And he says, my Lord, my God, but um, it's a very human reaction. Sometimes we remember <laughs> the worst rather than the better. But in that Gospel of John, when Jesus encounters the disciples, he says, receive the Holy Spirit for those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And for those whose sins you retain, they are retained. And that's anyway how it's linked as well with the Divine Mercy Sunday and the idea of trying to encourage people to go to confession um, if they haven't had the opportunity to prepare before Easter. But also in that atmosphere of you know, we're all redeemed sinners and that Faustina's diary and her message of mercy from Jesus, the merciful one, is there for everybody. So um, I do say it's nearly like the second chance of, of Easter already that we have this option that we can try and really help people be unburdened of their sin, I think, and their sense of what separates them from God rather than what connects them with God because it's very hard to be that Easter people if you're still locked in the tomb with your own sin and your own kind of navel gazing but it's the opportunity to look upwards and to receive that gift of peace and that's how the liturgy really complements the feast because it focuses us on peace and mercy and when we receive the mercy of God, we're at peace yeah. um, because we're restored to that harmony that the sacrament gives us. Because when we go for the sacrament of reconciliation, even the word itself, we're reconciled, first of all, with ourselves, because we've been able to say, you know what, my life isn't completely on track, but I'm able to go before our God of mercy. It restores that relationship with him with God as well and in turn it's restoring that relationship with my brothers and sisters because if you're at odds with yourself and with the Lord inevitably you're going to be at odds with people around you because you're just uneasy in yourself because that's what sin does it divides it separates um, and we have that sense of peace then from receiving the gift of mercy knowing that we will fall again but that we can we can go back again. And that's that's the beautiful thing of the gospel because it talks about the encounter with Thomas. And Thomas wants to place his hand in the side of Jesus, I believe, because he says, Until I see the holes and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. And when you think of that image of divine mercy and the rays coming forth and the pierced side of Christ for the blood and the water come forth. It's the same Christ in that encounter with the disciples and Thomas. It's the same woundedness that brings forth the church. And Jesus, like Jesus could have easily appeared to the disciples without the wounds of the experience of the Friday. Where he was Jesus and God was God. But it was that reminder to the disciples that um, the journey that Jesus went on which we commemorate during Holy Week, um, leaves signs, it leaves scars. And it was his way of showing it was still him. And, and 
I think as Christians and as Catholics and as as humans, we all carry those scars of life, um, the woundedness, and sometimes the hardest wounds and the scars are the ones inside that nobody can see. And they remind us of times that were difficult, and yet they're the reminder that we still came through them. And Jesus precedes us in that because his wounds are glorified wounds. And sometimes you see some very beautiful depictions of the resurrected Christ and they'll they'll have the wounds maybe painted gold. Um, and, and all these little things are incorporated into the Easter liturgy because if you had the opportunity to go to the Easter vigil, you would, if you had the opportunity also then to be there when before um, the vigil actually starts, you usually light the Paschal fire and the priest will make five incisions in the Paschal candle and that's remembering the five wounds of Christ. And he, usually there's the five grains of incense that are pushed into it and the words Alpha and Omega, or the, the beginning and the end, and the year. And it's saying that Christ, who is the beginning and the end, is present with us here and now in 2022. And that's represented in his Paschal candle, which is used for funerals and for different events in the parish. And it's reminding us as well that you know, that light of Christ that's brought then with the candle is still breaking into our woundedness and our darkness. And the liturgy this Sunday talks about um, Christ as the, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who comes to help to bring that life without end. And we'll hear that all in the liturgy this week and the little connections all come together. You know, that, that, that's very comprehensive. Thanks a lot so much, uh, Sister Louise. If somebody wanted to learn, I'll recap again, uh, is there any sort of website maybe they can go to, to maybe to to listen to the Divine Mercy? I know it's it's sung, isn't that right, in, in some? Sometimes people, like, I, I did connection a little bit, but I think I, I heard what you were saying, but the Divine Mercy Chaplet, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, you could maybe join a group and to hear them pray it. But if you go to YouTube or that, there's some lovely renditions of the Chaplet of Divine Mercy being sung. But it's a very gentle, sort of kind of a soothing prayer, and it's very repetitive as well, and it carries you along and introduces you into that space of, of requesting mercy and asking for the gift, also praying that mercy upon the whole world. Um, I just I thought there was one other little thing, John, that when... I was looking back over the diary of Faustina, something struck me that just in the the diary of St. Faustina, there's a part of it where she she has this image or a reflection where she can see a city being invaded. And these are in the years after the First World War. So obviously as a child, she would have experienced the war and when she goes to prayer, troubled, Jesus says to her, pray the mercy prayer. And she prays this and she can see the troops retreating and the soldiers turning back. And she said, maybe you know, now is the time also to pray the gift of mercy upon the whole of Europe and the whole of the world, really asking for the gift of peace that, especially in the places that are ravaged, 
and have been destroyed, that we could pray God's mercy into those situations, knowing that with him nothing is impossible. And also because this Sunday for us is Divine Mercy Sunday, but our Eastern Rite Catholics and our Orthodox brothers and sisters would be celebrating Easter. So their calendar is a little bit different. So we're very much united with them as we pray for for the gift of peace and also for mercy upon the whole world. So maybe um, just to wrap it up, um, your final thoughts maybe or message of divine mercy for us? Even that little prayer, Jesus, I trust in you, it, it opens the door to mercy and we can never underestimate it because it's just saying, Lord, I need you and that your mercy is so immense. And the image that Faustina had, it's an ocean of mercy. And I live near the sea here. So often when I go there and I go for my walk and I see this ocean, and I think that's how vast the Lord's mercy is. Um, and we just have to kind of dive into it and, and receive the gift of it and spread it to others because so many people are afraid. Like they have this fear of a God who will punish, who's judging, who's watching out for them to yeah. mess up. But our, our God is a God of mercy, and we can see that in Jesus. You know, the gift of Jesus is mercy incarnate, and, and that's our Easter gift. It's a resurrected Jesus who went to the cross, but didn't stay there, that rose from the dead so that he could keep telling us he's mercy and that the Father is merciful. Sister Louise, thanks a lot for your time. Very comprehensive, and we certainly learnt a lot. Uh, and... I think you left us with some beautiful thoughts, especially that that beautiful little three words, Jesus, I trust in you. Maybe just to finish off our chat today, have you got a piece of music you'd like us to play uh, at the end of this part of our podcast, please? I thought there's a, there's a piece of music from a musician called Matt Marr, and he it's not exactly related to the theme of mercy, but it's an Easter song, and it's called Christ is Risen from the Dead. And it just helps us, again, appreciate the what the resurrection is and it brings us forth, bursts forth into the new life of Easter. So that's my, my hope, my prayer for, for anybody who's listening, that, that Easter joy and life may just really permeate your life. And let us all be an Easter people and celebrate the joy of being a resurrected people. Hallelujah. Thank you so much indeed, Sister Louisa, and may we hear and come and see inspirations. Um, wish you every blessing and joy for the rest of this Easter season and, of course, beyond. Thanks, John. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Sister God Louise. God bless.
Fix our eyes upon the cross and run to Him who showed great love and blood for us. Freely you bled for us. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave.
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by, by Shane Ambrose. And again, our thanks go out to Sister Louisa Rook for sharing that reflection for us on this Divine Message Sunday. So now it's part of our podcast where we read and reflect on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. And prior to that, Shane helps us to get in tune, maybe for want of a better word, by praying this prayer. We always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thanks, Shane. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it, let not our eyes be closed or our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Shane. So the Gospel for today, it's said for the second Sunday of Easter, is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19 to 31. In the evening of that same day, the first day of the week, the, d- the doors were closed in the room where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said to them, Peace be with you, and showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were filled with joy when they saw the Lord, and he said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so am I sending you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. For those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. For those whose sins you retain, they are retained. Thomas, called the twin, who was one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. When the disciples said, We've seen the Lord, he answered, Unless I see the holes that the nails made in his hands, and could put my finger into the holes they made, and unless I can put my hand into his side, I refuse to believe. Eight days later, the disciples were in the, in the house again, and Thomas was with them. The doors were closed, but Jesus came in and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he spoke to Thomas. Put your finger here. Look, here are my hands. Give me your hand. Put it into my side. Doubt no longer, but believe. Thomas replied, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You believe because you can see. Happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. There were many other signs that Jesus worked and the disciples saw, but they were not recorded in this book. These are recorded so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in this you may have life through his name. That's the Gospel for this, the second Sunday of Easter. Shane, you might be able to share a thought with us, please. Where, where where to start with this particular week's gospel? There's so much that you could unpack in it and to, to look at. I suppose for me, the line that, you know, when we talk about Lexio, one of the things we always say is we, we are in dialogue with text. We're in dialogue with the word of God. Something that speaks to us now and it's just something that was written 2,000 years ago. 
And for me, I suppose the line is that 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 confessio, that declaration from Thomas, my Lord and my God. But also of equal importance is Jesus's response. Uh, blessed are you, Thomas. Uh, blessed are those who would have not seen. And I suppose when we look at this, very much a gospel that we could take great hope from uh, this week. We have here the continuation of last Sunday's gospel. And as we said last Sunday, one of the things to remember when you're praying and reflecting on scripture over the Easter season is it would be good to take down your gospel and read it continually so that you read the whole section through. So in this scenario, you would be reading chapter 20 of the gospel of, of John. Because we've gone directly from the scene of Mary Magdalene and, and Peter going to the tomb to now later the same day, Jesus is appearing to the, the 11 in the upper room. Well, 10, because Thomas wasn't there. Uh, well, we don't know, actually. It just says disciples, so we're not quite sure who was actually there. And then a week later, he reappears again. So it's very much signifying and renewing and setting out the tradition of the Lord's day, that seventh day being set aside. Um, and that's, that's, you know, that's why we have Sunday. Um, but I suppose reflecting on it and praying about it, Thomas is very much an exemplar and a saint for our times, I would have said. Because we live in a world where more and more there's very little space for the non-scientific viewpoint. There's no, it's very much, well, if you can't prove it using the scientific paradigm, then it's not provable, it doesn't exist, it's not real. But, and Thomas is very much, you know, touch my hands, touch my feet, see the hole in my side, is what Jesus is saying to him. Very much, you know, what we'd like to do ourselves, my God, what is this, you know, uh, what are we looking at here? Um, but very much then a reminder to us that we're not all as lucky as Thomas and that there are greater things in the world than that which can be expressed through the scientific method. It's not to say it doesn't have its role in space. Let's be very clear about that. Neither, neither John nor I will be fundamentalists in this regard. You know, the Big Bang has a role to play just as much as the account in the, in the book of Genesis, where we try to use myth, mythos to understand where we come from our relationship with the divine. But back to this Sunday's gospel, very much a gospel of hope, very much a gospel, I think, for us to pause and reflect on. Thomas had gone through huge trauma, yet was still able to come out with that huge declaration of faith, my Lord and my God. You know, and I suppose the question for us is, how would we react to that scenario? Like Jesus appeared in front of the disciples. We're not sure what he looked like. Um, we just know the expression is his glorious body, but that body obviously still had the marks of crucifixion on it um, so that they knew who he was. But, you know, it, it, it's a question for us. He appeared amongst them and... 
asking ourselves that question, well, how would we respond? They were traumatized about us. They had seen their friends captured, interrogated, condemned and executed. And suddenly now he's back in front of them in a different way. And you've got to kind of, you know, where do you even start to process that? You know, we talk about moments of tragedy in our lives that I suppose to be traumatized and grieving. Um, you know, and Thomas, Thomas had gone through that, but on the first day, he wasn't around to see the benefit of it. So he was like looking for, well, prove it to me, you know, as any of us would be, would be skeptical about these things. But an agonizing week later, he does encounter Jesus. He exclaims, my Lord and my God. And the man who we often call the doubter gives us that great expression of faith my Lord and my God. And I suppose if we're putting ourselves in Thomas's shoes, there's two things I suppose that we need to bear in mind. The first is that there are times where we, can't, we have difficulty being open to the good news. Like Thomas didn't want to hear what the others were telling him. They were telling him the good news. He said, no, unless I see it with myself and I touch it with my hands, I'm not going to believe what happened. And we can have that approach to hearing what others have to say in life, whatever it is relates to, and we can be closed off. And it, it goes back to last week's gospel when we were reflecting about the, open, the opening of the tomb and the moving of the stone. It's something which Pope Francis picked up on in his homilies over the Christmas ceremonies. That whole thing that we are called to come out of the tombs that we have created for ourselves, the tombs where we lock ourselves in by our prejudices, by our views, by our lack of engagement with others. And, you know, again, we have that this week where I suppose we, we may struggle to, you know, to, 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 to pray and to encounter life uh, a bit like Thomas, but being able to turn around and say, my Lord and my God. Um, and being open to accepting assurances that God is with us. You know, we can struggle to pray, we can become closed and isolated. And Jesus comes amongst us and he says, peace be with you. You know, um, so Thomas is very much a saint for those times of darkness. And, you know, where we are encouraged to encounter the healing presence of Jesus. You know, life will always prevail through all the layers of death in which we try to contain us, is a quote I came across during the week. But as we reflect on this Sunday's gospel, you know, there's ways and means we could do it. Always one of the key ones I would say is put yourself into the account that we're reading. Where do you sit in that story? Are you Thomas? Are you one of the other disciples? Where are you? And try to pray and reflect on what that would be is calling you to think about, what prompting you to reflect on, asking ourselves the questions, would we be like Thomas, able to admit to ourselves that we've had those moments of divine encounter to be able to come up with that expression of faith, my Lord and my God. Thanks for that, Shane. Thank you very much indeed. Lots of food for thought there. The line that struck me today, sort of similar to Shane as well. I mean, Shane just mentioned there that line, um, it's true, you believe because you can see and happy are those who have not seen. 
And I was linking that too with a line, with, with a, with a line early on, as the Father sent me, so am I sending you. And this is this is where I made the connection anyway. That Jesus was sent into the world by the Father to do his will. We're also sent by Jesus to carry out his work. We can't do this by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus mentioned early on in the Gospel here about receive the Holy Spirit. This is where I'm coming from anyway. So we need the Holy Spirit to be able to guide us and lead us. Jesus needs to share his message with the world. The message just the same as what Thomas was receiving there. But we also encounter... So first of all, we should thank God, as Shane said so much, to be able to maybe be included in those people who have been given the gift of faith as best as we can receive it and work with it in our lives. Happy are those of us who have seen it. But then, because of that, Jesus sends us out also to give that same message that we've been given freely to those who don't have it. So happy are those who've not seen and yet believe. So maybe this week, for me anyway, it's maybe ask the Holy Spirit, as Shane said, pray about it, reflect on it. The fact that we've been given faith to be able to 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 believe in the resurrection and all that brings. And there's lots of people out there who have not been given that gift. So just as the Father sent Jesus to go out and bring that message of hope to the world, he's also sending us out to do the same thing. So that's my few little words anyway, and maybe just to finish off our podcast today. Thanks again, Shane, for your for your sharing. Thank you, John. Um, We'll now go out with our final piece of music today. And this is a nice one you picked, actually, Shane. I hadn't heard this one before. It's a song of resurrection, and it's sung by the Newman Vocari Ensemble. So again, for myself and Shane, thanks a lot for, for joining us. We'll, we'll try to do it all again next week. As I said, you can get all of our podcasts and come and see inspirations.postspread.com. Historical ones going back to 2009 and sacred space, 102.blogspot.com. But for, you know, for myself and Shane... Enjoy the day, enjoy the week, especially our neighbours, our Ukrainian neighbours and, and those in the Orthodox and Eastern Catholic um, traditions who are celebrating Christmas, uh, Easter today. So until next week, for myself and Shane, thanks again. Bye.